Welcome to another episode here on the Kyle High Club. My name is Kyle. I got another very special guest here for you guys today. His name is Johnny Holiday. Welcome, Johnny. Uh, uh, thank you. I, I'm uh, happy to be here. I was expecting like a loud guitar noise to start. That's usually how it goes when somebody says Johnny Holiday. It's like, Wah! but uh, yeah. So. Should I redo it where I make like a vocal, like a cappella electric guitar intro? Yeah, do you like a slide? Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. I've got, I've got one. Um, yeah. Welcoming Johnny Holiday. Well, yes, indeed. Hello, how are you? <laughs> uh, I'm spectacular. Thank you very much for asking, Johnny. So, Johnny, welcome to the show. Tell us who you are and what is it that you keep yourself busy with? I am Johnny Holiday. I think we've established that by now. We've said that 7,000 times at this point. <laughs> if someone didn't recognize this guy's name is Johnny Holiday, get it through your mind. <laughs> yeah, and I am the uh, vocalist and guitarist and I guess lyricist for a band called Rough Magic, which is spelled horribly, but it, it sounds nice. And you and, and you would actually crucify people when they don't spell it correctly. It's like what do you, what what you don't know how to spell my band's name by now. <laughs> no, no, when they no. do spell it correctly, they have to spell it wrong for it to make sense. <laughs> you know what? There's there's a real fun thing about uh, the way rough magic is spelled. It's not because I don't know how to spell. It's because um, I was looking to make it not look boring. Because when you write oh. out rough magic, it just it looks boring. And then I was like, okay, so I just need to drop some other letters in the air so we can have an interesting logo, which we did. But then we had the unintended spectacular side effect that uh, it's exceptionally search engine optimized because of the spelling. So if you type oh. in rough magic the way we spell it, it's all you find. And I was oh. like, yes, this was so the plan all along. Unintentional miracles happen because you needed visually appealing letters for your band. Yeah. And then things just kind of work out. <laughs> but if anyone ever asks, it was a plan. Like that was, that was my intention to be, uh, you know, to be as recognizable as Facebook. I see a lot of people um, has got this um, trend to um, to replace a U with a V. I see that going on lately as well, also to, for those search engine vibes. I think that comes from um, the 90s Scandinavian like black metal and death metal scenes and um, a lot of people that were inspired by that idea where they would spell cult as K-V-L-T. Um, mm. That was a thing. And then, and you know, if you spelled true, you would use a V instead of a U. I'm not really sure why that happened, but it's a, uh, yeah. Yeah, I see it. Um, I see it. He's seeping over to pop now as well, just for the SEO purposes. It's quite interesting. For sure. But, yeah, um, but I. No, go for it. No, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just about to say, I don't think the initial intention of it was to be uh, search engine optimizer. I just thought they, I think they assumed it looked more badass. You can only have pointy letters. You can't have any round letters. 
I like pointy letters and, and Rough Magic does have, you know, the correct amounts of pointy letters to make it visually appealing. That's right. But we also have round letters because we have to keep the balance. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes that magic so rough is because you round around the edges. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's, <laughs> yeah, it's smooth and pointy. That's the point. That is the point. Ha ha. Anyway, um, Johnny, <laughs> your your band has gone through quite a big metamorphosis. I mean, you guys started as a three piece and now you've got like this whole entire rock and roll orchestra happening. Do you mind elaborating on that? Oh, it's um I think it was a move of necessity in my head. Because when I started working on our last album, which I still owe you a vinyl of, by the way. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, I started writing music that I realized I was not going to be pulling off as the free piece. And it was just not going to happen. Um, and I didn't want to be one of those bands that, you know, they start off as a three piece. And then eventually they're still three piece in terms of everything media related. And when they play live, there's like seven people on stage but the stage lights only shine on you know the three members that the world knows and i was like that's lame um you know i'll just <laughs> i don't want to be that guy you just have this dude standing in the background draped all in black or maybe a green screen and he's playing a keyboard his hardest but nobody can see him and i was like that's you don't want the world idea. to look at your session musicians as lame <laughs> yeah yeah or be like oh shame that poor guy he came all this way and nobody's even seeing his face no but so then what i did was i went and an absolute extreme opposite with it because then i got some really fantastic musicians to join the ranks and then uh, you know i was like now got them contributing on everything in terms of you know uh, vocals like taking over singing duties uh, in some songs and you know filling in on all of the nice harmonies and you know different guitar and whatever and then i was just like you know it has to be a big band then it's not it, you know, it's not just three guys and some other guys. But it's also fun to watch because it's like watching a literal musical chairs because you guys swap out guitars and instruments and then this guy is playing piano and that guy is playing bass. It is visually so fun to watch. I love it. Well, I'm glad you enjoy it because I'm not sure everybody uh, in the band enjoys having to swap so many instruments. But it's just like that was an, a thing that happened with I was like, well, you guys can play all of these things. So just play all of these things, you know, that it, it would make for a fun live show. But I was, it, it, honestly, it is a bit of a pain in the ass to uh, swap around <laughs> during the set and have people take over each other's instruments. But it looks cool. So I'm just going to, you know, keep having us do it. Yeah, but how does that how does that work, though? Because then this guy's playing bass and that guy's playing guitar. So how, how does that work? How, how do you guys plan that something like that? I mean, like I say, it's fun to watch. I mean, but I can just imagine the planning that goes behind it is probably a, a logistical nightmare. Well, the setups are the same, you know, um, like when we do sound check or whatever, it's we sound check everyone in there like little space and whatever and um sound check all the instruments and none of the 
settings of things particularly change. So, you know, people just swap over and everybody has a couple of spare guitars or whatever. So like <laughs> everyone Jimmy has a have... couple of spare guitars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they have to have them. But like uh, Jimmy or Bez would be on stage and each of them would have either uh, a guitar and a bass or I, th I think Bez has two guitars and a bass um, because we're also doing different tunings. And like I said, this is a, 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 quite a headache for I think a lot of the guys in the band, but also at the same time, I see them enjoying the other instruments though because they're like, oh, now we have to swap around. And then yeah, you, know, you, you <laughs> see the guitar guy playing the bass and he's like, yeah, this is mine. So, you know, I actually got to see yeah. you play baseball for Ifrit as well. That was quite a treat to see. Um, I don't think I've ever seen you play bass before that. Yeah, I wouldn't say that that's um, my uh, most fun instrument to play. I like playing the bass, but it's, uh, it's a whole uh, different thing live. Like my arms got so tired and then I was, yeah, <laughs> it was, it's cool. And then halfway through, I'm like, oh, this hurts. This is not as easy as playing guitar. I just want to be playing guitar instead. How long have you um, been sitting on the idea of Rough Magic? Where did it come from? How long have you guys been playing? Or how long have you been, you know, playing in your, in your bedroom saying, this is going to be my band's name? How long have you been doing this? Well, Rough Magic, as is, only came about, I think, in like uh, the beginning of 2015 when we were working on an, uh, like a garage EP, like a really, really garage EP. Um, and yeah, we then it all kind of came together, but I had in plans and I was envisioning something for a long time. Um, probably since I was in high school, I'm guessing. But uh, it only really came together around 2015 when I kind of got all of the crazy pieces together. And then, you know, it kind of makes sense. And then that's what happened. I don't know. That's very, that's a very wishy-washy explanation. I'm sorry. I'm going to try and think of something better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. <don't> <laughs> I love also, yeah, that's I also love that's, the that's word wishy-washy explanation. That's great. Yeah, yeah, that's but, um, down. Where did your love for guitar come from? I know you come from a very quiet town, uh, and um, I guess there's not a lot of music that happens there. So, how did your love for music come from? Well, I mean, that's exactly it. It's a very quiet town, nothing much is happening, and then you just want to kind of be loud. Yeah, you just want to be like, why is it so quiet around here? But, um, <clears throat> well, I mean. I say that jokingly, but I also mean it. But uh, in terms of, uh, I guess, musical taste and being uh, or finding music that was very much uh, down to my family's influence um, from different sides. My dad was the first one to introduce me to bands, I think, like The Who and... Uh, Jeff Rotel and you know many others um everything from uh, 60s and 70s and that was like a foundation that I was raised on and my mom introduced me to a lot of uh 
lyricists and songwriters such as uh, Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, and uh, also Neil Young and Don McLean. Um, lots of just fantastic musicians, uh, but amazing lyricists and that kind of uh, also became a part of my foundation of, you know, what went into rap magic. And then, you know, I was born in the 90s, but only in 92. So uh, I was around in the 90s, but I wasn't <laughs> taking only much in. Only in 92. <laughs> you made it yeah. sound like it's a bad thing. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, just like when people talk about uh, the 90s, people that were uh, like born in the 80s or whatever, for instance, they were in their teens and experiencing uh, grunge as a force, you know, and oh, all yeah, of the music okay. that was happening around then, um, you know, uh, they were experiencing it as they were, you know, kind of ready to appreciate it. And, yeah. you know, that time I was still uh, rubbing sticks in the ground and uh, okay. eating uh, stuff. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. And then I guess by the end of the 90s when i was uh becoming more of a cohesive person um then my sister who was a bit older than me she had obviously uh listened to a lot of this music as well and then uh that was my uh first uh kind of intro to what i would say was modern rock was whatever she was listening to throughout mm -hmm. the 2000s and what she had picked up in the 90s so it's like a, it's a very mixed uh, uh, what's that word that people use? Smorgasbord of you know different influences that kind of got me to. But you had a very, where I am. you had a very musical family, so everybody enjoyed music and, and stuff like that in your family. So um, you were from a young age very influenced by what was already happening in your family. For sure, and that was something that at that point felt very. Uh, kind of secluded to our family in this town because you know growing up in a small uh afrikaans town that what you would hear was like afrikaans doof doof music and that kind of thing and then i always just assumed nobody else knew about this other music that exists like nobody had ever heard of pink floyd or whatever and you would hear the occasional I want to break free at a wedding, you know, because that's a classic. <laughs> you always hear those as weddings. But, <laughs> but, but other than that, you know, it's usually just not very great music that was around. So, yeah, that was, a, I think, a very fortunate thing for me uh, growing up in this town. Otherwise, I would have, I don't know, become a sucky, sucky musician, maybe. And I'm saying sucky, sucky as in the, the dance, not sucky as in this sucks. But it would have sucked. <laughs> it would have sucked <laughs> to be a sucky, sucky musician. Yeah, sucky, sucky. Just for people that are listening that are not, in fact, English. It is uh, not, in fact, Afrikaans. It's spelled S-A-K-K-I-E. And then you have two of those. It's a, I don't well, know what okay. it is. You it's don't, a shuffle of some sort. You guys don't have to research that at all. You're not missing anything at all. So, <laughs> Yeah. No, but do research it. No. <laughs> just, uh, just give it a shot. I say no <laughs> to whoever's listening. Don't listen to him. Anyway, um, but you're, um, a lot of people don't know your father actually made you one of your guitars. That is correct. He built um, 
my guitar, which I do not have with me at the moment. That guitar is in Germany, and I will hopefully be reunited with it soon because yeah. I've been too worried to have it shipped my way. It's in a it's in a safe space. I know it's safe where it is, but I'm horrified to try and have it shipped back. Otherwise, I would have. But I'm too afraid it gets you know broken in the post or whatever, and it's not really something you can replace. No. So, how old were you when your father made you this guitar? Uh, this wasn't so long ago. Um, but then again, I have no uh, perception of time anymore. I might have been 24. Maybe I was 25. Uh, yeah. It, well, no. Sure, this is crazy. It might have been five years ago. It might have been six years ago. But uh, let's say somewhere between 23 and 25. That's how old I was. Okay. And has he made guitars before? No, he only ever did make one. So your dad only made one guitar ever, and that was that guitar? Yep. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it was a really cool thing to see. Um, and it sounds fantastic. Um, yeah, I guess it's, it's one of my, it is my favorite guitar, but I now have, uh, well, you know, since that one was in Germany, I got some extra backup guitars around here. And my thinking is when I do eventually uh, get there and I get it, I'll probably, you know, keep it for recording purposes and, you know, uh, have it somewhere safe because uh, like i said it's it's not really replaceable the other ones i can replace you know and i can put some uh, insurance on them or whatever but yeah but you yeah, can't insure it's a great... sentimental value of, of course you can't do that so it, i mean there's no insurance yeah, for that's sentimental true. value but um how did yeah how did the, how did the picture of yourself end up on the guitar <laughs> oh yeah that was that, <laughs> that was the whole thing um so the thing is he started making the guitar and he special ordered a stencil of my face which was a photo that was if i remember correctly it was taken by christelle Diebenacher. she took a photo of me when we were playing a show i don't remember where it was and uh he went through a lot of trouble to uh, you know get it yeah, in black and white and do the contrast and what everything, uh, you know, whatever you could do right so they could actually make a stencil of my face that would then be airbrushed onto the guitar. And so um, he managed to get that. I think it was, it might have been made in Japan, you know, it's like this really crazy story. But I didn't know before. <laughs> and then he, like, he made the guitar or he was making the guitar and he was he was surprising me with the uh, stencil like he had just painted and he was like look we've uh, we've done the stencil of your face and it's on the guitar now and if i had known before i would have probably tried to not have my face on my guitar because it kind of looks like i'm just really full of myself but then at the same time he had gone through so much trouble and you know i i just it was such a sweet gesture and I wasn't going to explain the whole thing. And I was just like, you know what, fuck it. If people think I'm full of myself, that's it. You know, whatever. I'm just, and then I decided 
I have that stencil still. It's in a box here uh, in Leidenberg. So I want to grab it. Now I'm just going to paint my face on all my guitars and just be like, I don't care. (laughs) So you can always play with yourself. Yeah. (laughs) No matter where you go in the world, you can play with yourself in public. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's not a, a thing that a lot of people have. Not a lot of people have a guitar with their own face on it. No, I mean, not a lot of people have a guitar, number one. And number, <laughs> number two, not a lot of people who do have guitars have their own faces on it. And I also, I also exactly. think it's, a, it's an ultimate flex if you can tell someone, when last have you played with yourself in public? Never. So, yeah. And you, and you can do it on the stage. In, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like amplified even. And not be arrested. Yeah, well, you might be arrested. It depends what you're doing. But I mean, yeah. If you're actually playing with yourself. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the, oh, no. the guitar has got extra sentiment because your dad is no longer a- around. That is correct, yeah. He unfortunately did uh, pass away from cancer. And that was about three years ago now. I was doing the math in my ear earlier and I might be wrong. It might have been four years but like i said i've lost all perception of time at this point um but yeah so it's like uh that's what i'm saying it's a absolutely irreplaceable object for me because you know there will never be another one if i may ask um because i'm myself i'm struggling with a copious amounts of um anxiety and depression due to traumatic events would you say your your father's passing amplified it or was it something that's always been part of your life anxiety and depression i think that was probably uh, a big part of what set it off for me like i I would imagine that i always had uh, some semblance of it uh, inside of me you know uh, unhealthy coping mechanisms and not actually uh wait just hold on for one second i need to open the door for a dog okay just give me a second there we go and let me close the door again fantastic um yeah (laughs) uh sorry about that no um it's always been a thing i guess but not something that i paid any mind to because it wasn't you know it was never a problem it never got to a point where it was actually uh debilitating i would say and then when my dad got sick when he got diagnosed with cancer for the first time i went into an absolute spiral which i think um started with anxiety not with a depressive side of things like i wasn't necessarily uh sad not more than uh one would obviously be when someone is diagnosed with cancer but i went into a anxious spiral where i was convinced that i am dying or that i have cancer or that i'm gonna have a heart attack or whatever and that um is a constant struggle still where you know i find myself going through the motions and working myself out of it and then you know falling back into it and i think that's kind of what set it in motion was realizing that at that point um i don't know i I think it was my first real grapple with mortality 
and that yeah. kind of yeah it just flowed into all sorts of other anxieties um yeah i think because it's, uh, because it's kind of like you've never been aware of the magnitude of anxiety and now that you can actually pinpoint that feeling towards something you become aware of so much other things in your day-to-day -day life that you actually didn't really connect towards anxiety exactly yeah it's like it has become tangible to some degree yeah because i i think i think there are so many things as a child uh, and growing up that you you didn't know the magnitude of the stress of a certain type of situation because it never really phased you. And I think um, confronting mortality actually is kind of like that gateway drug in between inverted commas to anxiety because you start to question your own mortality and you, and you, and you become anxious about other things that you never really thought about that might impact you, but it is actually impacting you on a day-to-day -day life. Exactly. Um, and that's what I said. It's just, it, it becomes a spiral of sorts. There was a, like, I had been overseas a couple of times before, you know, the band started kind of taking off and before I was an anxious mess. So um, at that <laughs> point, it was, <laughs> but at that point, it wasn't a problem for me. Like, I had flown before you know and it was uh never particularly liked it but it wasn't the issue but then after this kind of spiral of anxiety started i started to have ridiculous flight anxiety like every time you need to get on a flight to go on tour or whatever it's uh there's a crazy amount of uh work preparation that into, yeah and the, there's always just that last minute, you know, last four or five minutes before a flight where there's a very good chance that I'm just not going to get on the flight where I'm just like, nope, hold on. This is not happening. I'm oh, in wow. control of the situation. I do not need to be on this plane. And then, you know, I always end up managing to convince myself that I do indeed need to get on this plane. And then it's about 10 hours of not being <laughs> you know not being happy about being on the plane and then i get to the other side and i'm like this is fine now then, you know, i can I, I can breathe again and then you get people telling you it wasn't that bad it's like oh yeah you you're not me okay yeah you don't understand it's crazy <laughs> but yeah no and it's the wildest thing because uh logic plays no part in it like i have this uh ability to walk myself through it and i'm like okay i have a basic understanding of you know what goes into making a plane fly i understand wow. the physics behind it <laughs> i know why this thing is supposed to stay in the air you know that makes sense and then i'm in the air and i'm like nope this is not right something is inherently wrong about hurtling through the sky would you say you have developed a fear of death I do believe so, but I don't think it's a fear of death. I don't mind dying. That's the thing. I've been, uh, you know, I, I think about it a lot. That's something that comes up when I have my spats of anxiety. It's not yeah. so much death or the end. That doesn't phase me at all. I don't care about that. Like, um, I've, I'm, have come to terms with it before in my life, and I'm fine with it. Um, but I do not like the idea of dying. Like the actual act of dying 
horrifies me. So I think that's my problem. And I don't know why, because, you know, I'm not scared of what comes after. So I don't know why I'm scared of the actual uh, instance of it happening. But yeah, it's, it's there. It's not necessarily logical, but it is inside of me. Have you, have you um, become more aware of your own mortality since your father's passing? Yes, I believe so. I think that's, um, yeah, that's what I was trying to get out, uh, get to earlier, but not very eloquently. But I think that was, I never before had any uh, fears about that kind of thing. And I don't think I ever thought about it. I was just like um, blissfully unaware that one day I would have to die. And then suddenly I had the realization that I would at some point I have to die and then you know uh, it's something that i came to think about a lot after that and and you know anxiety to me is actually a very personal thing because you don't think that other people experience it the way you do because um how i see it is there's so much in reality what the world expects of people and what i'm trying to do is i'm just trying to make sense of what is going on in my own personal head because I live there. I'm personally every day in my own head. Thank you very much. And it's just with everything and everyone around you, um, you know, having their own opinions and having their own visions about anything, it's kind of like delaying the process of you trying to make sense of what's going on in your own mind. I don't know. I don't know if you follow with what I'm trying to say is, um, my own personal anxiety is I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm making progress in my mind to not feel what I'm feeling right now. And it's almost like the reality of the world is preventing me from finding my sanity. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's a, right now that's a big problem. Like I, I've been having a lot of issues with anxiety recently and I, um, it is a very personal thing, but I have the opinion about it that I like to be very open about it because, you know, you end up finding people that are able to help or at least, you know, uh, lend an ear when you're uh, going crazy. Um, but yeah, like right now, I think the real problem is the whole world is an absolute mess and it's... I don't know. Uh, it's kind of hard to feel this way and not also in the same sense, or at least this is for me personally, uh, feel bad about it. You know, if I go through these kind of uh, spirals where I think, um, you know, this is horrible, nothing, this horrible has ever, ever happened to anyone else. And then at the same time, my mind goes to, no, there's, you know, people having a way worse time. And honestly, that's not how it works like you cannot compare uh suffering even though it's a very human thing to do it's the way your brain works it doesn't allow you to actually um perceive uh, suffering in that way it's whatever your feeling for you is the worst thing that could possibly be happening because it's happening to you that's how your brain kind of uh you know interprets it I'm sorry to interject, sorry. interject here as well. Um, I get that because your own problems are relevant to you. But 
yeah. being connected in a digital world makes it kind of worse because you start to compare yourself with other people. Then you think, oh, well, I am busy having a breakdown and people are only, you know, posting a camera roll where everything is going well with them. No one is sharing their anxiety or depression on the internet or are digitally out there. And that actually pours fire on that flame as well, because the world expects a lot out of people and, and, and you trying to just make sense of what's happening in your life, you know, your problems is relevant to you. That can actually just spark a whole new different spiral from there on out. I mean, I think it's probably the like being in the, in the era we are right now, being connected is also drifting us apart with regards to mental health as well. As, as much good as it can do, as much bad can it um, uh, spark as well. Exactly. And that's why I was saying earlier, um, I think for me, it's important to be vocal about it and to post about it. And I mean, a lot of people that uh, do follow me on social media, I think might, you know, get annoyed with uh, posts about anxiety or depression or whatever, um, when it gets to that point. Uh, but it's not like that all the time. I mean, uh, but oh, when I'm having a hard time, I like to be vocal about it because I think it's important for people to understand um, what is happening uh, with you and, you know, with other people in the world. Um, because if you don't, and if you manage to completely avoid talking about it, you know, outside of the social media sphere, just in regular life, then um, you end up having a way worse problem. Um, and yeah, that's the thing that I've... Uh, notice as well because i know a lot of people that have the absolute perfect life you know if, if you would follow them on social media and they have like you said it's just camera rolls of the, a fantastic vacation and you know this uh these beautiful scenes from all around the world and then you would meet that person maybe not two days later and they'd be having a horrible time uh, in terms of maybe depression or anxiety or whatever the hell it is uh, that's happening. But it's not something they would ever let anybody else see because it's not fun being vulnerable, I guess. And that's a, also a bad road to go down because I think in the end, uh, you end up doing yourself in. My problem is I've become like a very big hermit lately. I've I've taken myself out of the public eye just because... You know, it's easier for me to avoid, um, you know, certain topics and, and, and conversations with people than to actually talk about it. Because we're, what I'm trying to say is me having a bad time relevant to me versus someone who's a single mom with three children and still coping with life. How do you tell someone like that? you're having a bad time, you know, <laughs> you know, but like I said, everything is relevant to you. But what makes me anxious is I rather avoid telling people, you know, everything is fine. At the same time, try to talk about what is not fine, because that can go to either or side of a tipping point in a conversation. And I'm still trying to deal with that in a conflict. Well, so I have some, uh, opinions on this let me just quickly try and articulate them um so the first thing is uh, like we said because uh, i do believe that 
anxiety and depression and so on are very personal things to go through and uh, i i do think it's important but uh, for people who can manage it to talk about it and post about it and be vocal about it and you know be aware about it as much as possible but also the split side of that is you don't owe that to anybody and if that's not the way you can manage to cope with it it's not something you have to do you don't have to tell anybody about how you're feeling or why you're feeling the way you're feeling you don't have to post about it and you don't have to um you don't have to bring it up in a conversation so that's one thing it's not uh, it's not a you have to do it but um i think in a certain sense if you do you'd be surprised how many people are supportive and are going through the same thing and are not necessarily in a place in their life where they would want to post it online, but they would send you a DM and they would say, listen, I'm going through the same thing. And, you know, it's good to see that I'm not alone in it. And then they would like to say that you're not alone in it, and they've got uh, ways they've been dealing with this kind of anxiety and whatever. And that's really, you know, it's opened up my eyes to how many people are struggling with the same issues and at the same time, um, ways to deal with it and not feel as alone but that's sorry that's just one side of uh, this opinion that i have but the other thing and because you just said like if you're comparing it to a single mother with uh, you know three children and they're having a hard time or whatever so that's the point i was trying to make earlier about not being able to actually compare suffering not being yeah. able to compare things exactly, like depression yeah. and anxiety. There's a writer, um, well, n- not anymore. He's uh, passed away a long time ago, but uh, his name was Viktor Frankl, right? And Viktor Frankl was a Jewish man that um, was alive during the Holocaust. And he was, in fact, in concentration camps in the Holocaust in that time. And in the concentration camps, he managed to start a, a kind of a school of therapy or a, a, a philosophy around uh, specific aspects of mental health. And then in the concentration he, camp. Yeah, well, I mean, he wasn't actually uh, using that time to necessarily help inmates, but that's when he formulated it and he was trying to help uh other people in the concentration camp at the same time, but only after they had uh, been liberated that he started the Victor Frankl Institute where he used what he learned from the concentration camps to kind of uh, teach people uh, around the world. And it became uh, really, I think it's a very good uh, practice of psychology. And one of the one things that uh, he did mention, there's a book, um, that you can read about it. Uh, and I've lost the name of the book now for a second. And I'll have to look it up. Um, but in that, he explains that suffering cannot be um, compared. Like if a man is living on the street and he's suffering every day, um, having the worst time of his life, and there's another man who is struggling with depression, in their heads, like mentally, the way their brain processes it is exactly the same. They yeah. would feel the same amount of depression, the same amount of sadness, even though the one is definitely worse off. And that makes it a very hard 
thing because as humans our natural tendency is to be like it's not that bad i have this i have that so i yeah. i have a house i have food to eat i have all of that without realizing you know that it's entirely possible to be empathetic towards other people whilst acknowledging that what you're going through in your head is very real you know and it's yeah. uh, it's it's for you it's the same amount of suffering and it's a hard thing to come to terms with because you know you don't perceive it as that uh consciously but subconsciously that's what your body does you know yeah i think um that is that is why i do these and and i i even make some of my journal entries public because not only am i opening myself up for other people's opinion but i think it's really important to verbalize what you're thinking or write down what you're thinking because i've got an idea that the concept that you're thinking about might you know if you're breathing on it in your head and and it might sound like one way in your head but until you verbalize and put it out there it might you it might you know have you ever have you ever been in a situation when you say it out loud loud it's actually quite ridiculous you know <laughs> or, you know it's like well once I say it out loud it's actually quite stupid you know but I think yeah, it's really important to actually verbalize a lot of these things not only to share it with other people but for you to actually kind of hear yourself in a third person if that makes sense yeah no it's true and that's a uh, uh, one big thing for me that's um i believe that's why the last two years have been particularly tough in terms of anxiety and depression or whatnot is my form of verbalizing which is also my form of escapism has always been uh, writing lyrics you know working into um whatever i'm going through working that into a song and sometimes you know it's a very depressing a train of thought and just like really really depressing lyrics and then you chuck that over some you know fast drums and loud guitars and suddenly it's a song and the great thing about that is you manage to get on stage and you manage to shout those really sad lyrics at a bunch of people that are having a really good time and by the end of that you feel amazing because yeah. you don't feel the sadness of the lyrics anymore it just you feel this is fine the empowerment this is good of because it. you act, yeah you actually managed to get it up and that's a therapy on its own and something i've been missing a lot over these last few years you know not being able to play and whatever because now you still write the lyrics you still kind of get the songs you get it out but you don't actually get it out there's a different uh, there's a different thing to it to be able to be on stage and actually um sing it at people you know then it, it feels like it actually does come out but yeah i would say um it uh i don't think it's a actual field of therapy that exists but i think it's a, it should be acknowledged as a useful therapeutic method and i believe a lot of people have that in different ways as well you're not necessarily just writing uh your in your journal or you know 
publishing the journal, but I, some people just express it in different ways, like in different art forms or getting it out in poetry or whatever, just because it's good to, it's, it's a good release, you know, to get all of that out of you. Uh, because if you just keep it inside, even if it seems crazy, even if it seems like it's not really such a big deal or whatever, if you don't write it down, or if you don't get it out some way, then it does become a big deal. Then those small little incessant thoughts become really big, angry ones, and they keep shouting over all your other thoughts, and then eventually you're you're crazy. <laughs> I like to I like to think about um, you know keeping thoughts in your head as similar. It might be morbid, but similar to keeping a corpse under your bed, you know. The longer you keep yeah, that corpse so under your bed, eventually you won't be able to sleep because the smell is going to keep you out until you go outside and, you know, get rid of it out of from under your bed. You know, you're going to sit with that corpse under your bed and it's just going to get worse day by day by day by day. But um, wouldn't you say, you know, that suffering that you were talking about earlier, now that you're talking about art, right? Wouldn't you say... Um, you can actually compare that suffering to art in the sense of one cannot compare art with each other because the artist makes an art piece for from what he feels like. And it can really not be, you can't say this art is better than that art. You don't, you've got no idea what, what's going on with what, what, why and where that person made it. And I actually think you can actually compare that suffering to actually the method behind art because you can't really compare one suffering with another because what, what you were talking about what, what I think it's actually really beautiful is everybody's between inverted commas proverbial art slash suffering is relevant to them but it can still be shared to the world whether you like it want to or not but that can inspire people about their own art slash suffering Definitely can. I'll tell you, um, this is a, I wouldn't, I don't mention names specifically, but I have a couple of uh, people who I've grown to be friends with over the years that have been uh, fans of Rough Magic through, you know, um, one phase or another that we have gone through. And the usual, um, start of the conversation would be someone at random somebody i'd never met before would send me a, a dm you know or email or whatever and it would be about one of our songs specifically and they would be like i i really like the song because i feel like i'm having the same problem or i'm dealing with the same thing or something you know uh, i'm going through this same thing like i really understand the lyrics and then i've heard interpretations of the lyrics which Many times, it's not what I meant to say by the lyrics. You know, sometimes uh, people would be dead on. Sometimes they would be somewhere uh, thinking of it like in a very different way. But they would be dealing with their own problems and they would use that as a method to kind of um, deal with it, you know, and feel like maybe somebody else understands what I'm going through. And I've always uh, really... Uh, I've been proud of that to an extent, but also, you know, it, it's, uh, it just feels good to be able to kind of help people in that way, which was never 
the purpose of it. Uh, it was just uh, for my own selfish reasons of, you know, getting it out so it doesn't keep mulling around in my head. But then, you know, you hear it being spoken back to you and somebody saying they were going through a tough time and this helped out. And then, yeah, that's a, I think it's a good thing. Like people, I believe a lot of artists don't really realize uh, to what extent they have helped people through certain things um, because they might not be in contact with the people that they kind of help through all of this, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's a really good thing to, and it's given me some perspective in terms of the types of lyrics that I write, because, you know, it would be very depressing many times verging on uh, <laughs> uh, getting worrisome, maybe. And I've had an introspection about that where I was like, okay, you know, in case somebody is in fact taking this up as literal, maybe I should... Um, worded the right way so that sounds like i'm uh glorifying things like suicidal tendencies or whatever not no, the bad you don't want I mean, to um, spark something that could have been prevented so you kind of have to alter what you're trying to say you know carefully yeah and i mean i don't necessarily alter it to a point where it doesn't say what i wanted to say but i think it's like it's a bit of a double-edged sword uh, in that way because it's a good therapeutic thing and it's good to kind of get this stuff out but you also have to consider the uh, power that words have especially yeah. for you know people you don't know um, because it could definitely uh, create some uh, unintended uh, I don't know side An effects animosity I guess Just, that comes with it yeah, and I mean, that's something that has happened in the past uh, with uh, people that have taken art up to mean something and then, you know, acted out on that, which, and it always turns out to be a very sad thing. That's not something anybody would want. But yeah. Um, but I also think, yeah, also I think um, you know, people tend to talk about what we're talking about as heavy stuff as heavy feelings, but I just, I can't help to see that being in tune with your emotional side, it carries a lot more inspirational weight than, you know, the latter, you know, overly happy, you know, things like that. I just think the chance to inspire someone or the chance to change someone or someone's life, the magnitude behind you know a traumatic event you know it's it's a lot it's, it's it's a lot bigger it's a lot more weighted than your average human interactions your day-to-day -day interactions because people take the um you know the day-to-day -day for granted you know people take the small things for granted and they do sit and watch the sunrise and everything like that and, and people do take the, the you know the day-to-day -day things in from the you know from time to time but i just think as troublesome and horrific, you know, a traumatic experience can be, I just think there lies so much more beauty and inspiration that comes along with it, if it can be interpreted correctly. That's the thing. So, and I agree with you 
um, largely, I think uh, we are on the same page there. But it's in the way that it's interpreted, which is important because yeah. I always feel like you must be very, very careful of glorifying anxiety and depression, which is something that I see very regularly um, across social media and across just like general media that people are uh, binging these days. And it's a it's a troublesome thing and it's a, it's a worrying thing because there's a lot of people out there that literally, you know, they make it an aesthetic instead of realizing that it's a problem that people face and uh, suffering that people are going through. And it's um, harmful because, uh, you know, you end up influencing people and starting a, a cult of depression, which later becomes, a, you know, a cult of suicidal feelings and whatever and it's not it's not healthy um because yeah, that also can be interpreted differently to other young influential children or whoever is influential mentally from there on out so it's like a snowball effect because however you react on someone and if you're influential and you put it on social media you can influence a lot more malleable people that comes along with it so it creates this whole domino effect Exactly. Like um, whenever I'm talking about uh, this specific topic, I always it always comes to mind the um, the case of the suicide forest. <clears throat> Sorry, suicide forest in Japan, uh, the one that's at the foot of Mount Fuji, and there's a lot of um, reasons for it, and many of them societal reasons in Japan. You know. Um, of why this is caused but a lot of people point a finger back to a novelization which was i don't remember in which era it was written in japan and um it creates a kind of culture of glorifying the idea of suicide and i i don't you know i've never read the book or whatever and i'm not entirely sure what is inside of it i've only been told or i've heard accounts about it but uh, it kind of created a romanticism around this whole idea of suicide in a forest or whatever. And um, that's, that's a problem, you know, because that something like that could become a runaway train. And then you've got like a, a culture develop around it. And yeah, it's, it's just unhealthy and, yeah it's not a good thing and that's why i think you just have to be really careful with the way especially if you're an artist you know at whichever level you don't have to be um it doesn't matter Famous if you're or anything no. yeah it's just uh, you never realize what kind of potential influence you have on people and right. that's important to take account of yeah but that that, that again that is also a double-sided sword because now it, it it boils down to um what's uh, perspective because now you can you can talk about something traumatic and depressive and you can talk about your anxiety and to the right people it can influence them in the right way but the wrong perspective can change that 100% as well so as an artist where do you draw that line? Or just as an average human being, just sharing something on Facebook or social media, where do you draw the line? Because let's say 
losing someone's relative can either be inspiring to someone or it can, you know, break them down emotionally to a whole new different level. I mean, you can, you can see that in families, how certain people's deaths influence one person to actually, you know, choose life and to live their life fullest. And to the rest of the family that can actually just, you know, drown in that sea of depression. So, you know, the perspective line gets a little bit gray. Yes, it's true. And I mean, I don't have a clear answer for that, unfortunately. No. I would like to say that I, I, you know, I know the right way to handle it. Um, I'm as careful as I could possibly be in the ways that I, um, you know, handle my uh, writing and my posting and all that kind of stuff. But I do think there's, unfortunately, there is no definite line um, where you can be 100% in the right and not necessarily influence someone in a way that you didn't mean to. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. No, I a, guess what I'm, what I'm trying to situation. say is, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is on a personal level, right? I think more people need to embrace their emotions to know how to deal with it um, instead of trying to avoid it and not, and not be sure how to handle it. Because, you know, how you as a person handle something. So I think where I'm trying to get at is how I handle something, you know, for me versus how I feel about it and how versus other people seeing how I handle something is two different things. And I think people need to embrace their emotions a lot more instead of avoiding it because how you, you know, react towards certain emotions might for you think, okay, this is fine. This is normal, whatever, but you, you won't, pro you know, you spend a lot of time with people around you without knowing it. You can influence you from your closest friends to family members. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really. It's a tough thing, man. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a hard thing to think about. I honestly, I, the first time I specifically thought about influence was in a conversation with one of our mutual friends, actually, which whose name we'll keep off the interweb because I don't know how we would feel about it, but. Um, he actually took me to task one time about um, something that I said off the cuff, did, uh, yeah. not something that I was thinking about particularly. And he, in the conversation, he said, it's important to remember that, you know, there's a lot of people around you, a lot of people who care, a lot of people who don't necessarily care, but, you know, yeah. Uh, the words are they become influential in some way or another uh, or your actions for that matter um yeah and that's why i decided to try and keep a balance but it's hard i like i don't really have the answers to these things you know so i, I i'm figuring it out on my own as, as i'm going along no, and just trying I understand. to understand same yeah on my side you know and that is you know that's probably you know one of the biggest reasons i like to talk to people and you know just hear people's stories because you know there's so much value behind listening to what people have to say because who their character is and 
how they react to certain things, you know, can actually inspire you to, you know, implement some of those good or bad characteristics in your own life. And I think, you know, being able to listen to someone talk is a valuable tool to have in today's society. Definitely is. Um, we've, I mean, we've come to a point where we don't really listen to take in any information anymore, you know, and I think that's because of how society is like, we listen to have an answer. We don't necessarily listen to uh, understand what it is that someone's saying. And that's unfortunate because I do like, there's a lot of help that you can give people if you actually listen to what they're saying and realize uh, that they might be suffering or whatever, but there's also a lot of healing power in it. You know, you might, if you really listen to what someone's saying, you might pick up something that's useful for you in dealing with your own, uh, you know, your own problems. I know. Um, and I think, yeah, dude, one of my biggest downfalls is I have developed numerous amounts of unhealthy coping mechanisms for my anxiety and depression you know and i think one of my my biggest downfalls with that is when i fall back into a bad habit instead of motivating myself for the progress you know you think to yourself here i am again why am i here again because that coping mechanism wasn't developed because of enjoyment or celebration or you know, rewarding yourself for it. It's actually a coping mechanism to actually, you know, numb a certain pain or avoid a certain feeling. And I think one of my biggest downfalls is when I fall back in these coping mechanisms, that spirals that you're talking about just gets like 10 or 20 times worse. Yeah. And you know what? That's a, um, I'm having a coping mechanism as we speak, but uh, it's a, it's a thing, though, that you shouldn't end up chastising yourself, you know. Uh, you can't beat yourself up about falling into a certain bad habit or doing whatever it's uh, necessary to do. And the ideal is to realize you've done it, but also to keep uh, your mind on the progress and to focus on what you are, in fact, doing to better yourself, because otherwise the spiral will continue. And as I'm saying this, it's something that I'm very guilty of as well. Uh, I would find myself being enraged at myself for lapsing into my old habits and then taking days to manage to get back on track. Uh, no, but it's so much at but, all. That's what the frustration boils down with me because I know, you know, catching like catching myself in that act you know will take two or three days of my time and i don't have that time to waste you know you don't i don't have that time to recuperate and get back on that horse again so that's why i get frustrated and angry at myself because i would like to avoid it and just kind of you know continue my life in a very easy straight and the only person sabotaging my progress is me so yes i get it it's that two or three days just trying to let yourself it's okay to have downtime fuck that you know just try and at least not you know take that two or three days to get over it because this is not the first time this is happening 
And, and that's why I'm angry at myself, you know, because it's the same habit over and over again. And, you know, recognizing your bad habits has become a bad habit as well. Mm -hmm. But that's what I'm saying. It's, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's imperative that you're not that hearted on yourself, you know, and not be angry at yourself because it's the first thing you do, you know, um, usually when, uh, as I've perceived so far from speaking to other people that deal with uh, the same types of issues, it's not a thing of blame it on anyone else. You blame it on yourself, but that creates a bigger problem that makes your initial problem bigger than it was before. And it, you know, it gets bad. And I mean, it's not easy. I have the same problem. I can't, do downtime i'm in leidenberg right now doing downtime that's that's the purpose of my month away from let's say social media and uh you know contact with the outside world is to have downtime and i still catch myself uh being angry at myself for not taking uh, you know not uh doing the necessary things and i end up still uh getting myself stuck in a kind of endless process of doing half as jobs of things that i could do better if i just had some mental fortitude yeah, yeah. because i i can't slow myself down to chill out about it but i feel like it's necessary because otherwise the spiral continues and then it becomes never ending. So somewhere you need to break the cycle and kind of you just pull yourself towards yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I, and I know it sounds very easy to say, but doing it is another thing because just because, uh, you know, I, I sometimes sit and think to myself, okay, things are going well right now. And then you sit and you think to yourself a little too well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, then, and that's crazy. Like I, I have that too so many times. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Like it's it, like I would get good news and I'm like, oh, hold on. It must yeah. be coming. I don't know what's coming, yeah, but it's but com something's I'm, coming. I'm acutely aware of my, you know, of imminent doom at all times. And then, you know, at some point, like a week later, when you've reached a different spiral altogether, you're like, oh, wait, hold on. That was actually just like some really good news. <laughs> like, yeah. Why couldn't I, why <laughs> couldn't I just enjoy it when it was happening? Yeah. It's like, you know? and, then, and then you get angry at yourself. I was like, fuck, why can't I just enjoy things? <laughs> yeah. Why, why am I not having a good time? I should be having a good time. It's 12 past good time o'clock, you know? And then, <laughs> And it just, yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, because we are, we are hard on ourselves, you know, and it's a, it's a very, it's, I think it's a sign of the times. It's something that's, a, you know, it's a, a, a part of our culture of the way we live, the way uh, we're taught to live, that it's, you know, it's about reaching your full potential and being productive in a, productive society you know and doing all of the right things at the right times and then the moment you kind of step outside of that boundary 
it becomes a thing where you uh, you're angry at yourself because you're comparing yourself to impossible ideals that nobody could you know really reach don't you think being aware of your own emotional state is like a superpower i i just can't help to think you know like being consciously aware of things like depression and anxiety i don't want to say put you a step ahead but it makes that spirals and downtime a lot easier to handle the next time because I think there are people going through their lives. Not It's like I normally see what we're talking about now today as let's say it's, it's a language, right? It's, it's English. And we are Afrikaans people, but we are actively trying to learn how to speak English. And there's people, people going out in their lives blissfully unaware speaking Afrikaans for the for the whole entire lives you know not actually trying to speak English and learn more about it so I don't know if that metaphor solidifies what I'm trying to say but I'm just thinking you know (laughs) you know working on your own emotions is like a muscle or like playing guitar and the more you actively practice or or acknowledge it the better you get at it that is true in a sense i think i you know and i i do believe it's a good thing to have but also it does have an unfortunate side effect where if it is a superpower it is also uh the weakness of the superpower because it can become uh, a part of the spiral i've found uh, for me personally that's thinking about the fact that I have anxiety and acknowledging the fact that I have anxiety sometimes triggers the anxiety thinking that I haven't had an anxiety attack in a while I'm due for one surely because I know how this works and I think that's something that's important to recognize is like you were saying it's a language right and you're learning the language and it's important to realize that there's also always something new that you can learn about it so you mustn't get into a comfortable space where you think i understand this i know uh, where i'm at and i know how to deal with this and then that ends up causing other problems as well because you think you have a handle on it when really you don't you know um... i'm not saying that's the case for you personally but i'm just saying that's a uh I think an important aspect to consider as well, because I think it's important to learn about this stuff and get in touch with it. But at the same time, it's good to keep your wits about you to realize that you don't know everything. No, I'm just, I'm, I mean, I, I guess where I'm getting at with this is, you know, uh, staying with the superpower metaphor, you know, like what well, uncle Ben said with great power and great responsibility and everything, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not saying, you know, being aware of this will eventually give us full enlightenment where we can sit back and say, haha, I'm totally impervable to depression, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it, it basically gives you, you know, that, you know, that thick leathery skin towards, you know, everything that comes at you, you know, that what doesn't kill you make you stronger type thing, because I've seen so many people who's always been so happy and so, you know, joyful their whole entire lives where a small, you know, I don't want to know, almost said the word a small thing, but something like death can totally tip them over and 
you know, ruin their whole entire lives versus, you know, actually just knowing that they need how to deal with it. Yeah, but then in the same sense, and I understand exactly what you're saying, but I think that's the, um, that's the reason why things like uh, therapy and like cognitive behavioral therapy and all of that exists is because uh, people don't necessarily have the tools to deal with it or even the tools to recognize what's happening. And the point of therapy is kind of to equip people with those tools and to kind of uh, help them figure out that, you know, listen, you're not dying, you're having depression or you're having anxiety and there are ways to deal with this. And, uh, you know, that's why I think all of that kind of came into existence over time. And I do think it helps to have uh, to have an idea of it, to know what it is you're going through or whatever, and to know that you're able to get help because a lot of people don't know that. But that's why a conversation like this is also important, in my opinion, and having it out in the public as well, because there might be people dealing with this that do not realize that it's something that they could take steps to not prevent, uh, not cure necessarily, but to live with it. Um, and they wouldn't realize if they hadn't you know tuned in and kind of found it in this way i think i think that's really important because you know you are so influenced by the home and the friends you have you know if you are surrounded by an environment where nobody talks about these things and you have to keep it for yourself and you know you're not surrounded by people who openly talk about things like this you know, just being able to find out some way in this life that there are other people who also feel like that think, I think it's something magnificently beautiful. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a, it's a very important aspect. And now that you said it, I want to also, um, or it brought to mind that another thing about these kinds of conditions are that they have been for the longest time and still, to a certain degree are uh, very taboo you know and uh, not taken seriously or uh, believed to be just uh, you know weakness instead of actual uh, sickness and I know a lot of people talk about this online and whatever but it, it's still a problem that we have in our um, uh, in our society you know where somebody would be like listen I'm uh, I'm struggling with depression or, you know, I uh, feel like yeah, everything's too much yourself, or whatever. Man. We all just get over it. It's not that bad, you know? And you're yeah. like, okay. And a, a <laughs> lot of them are the, you know, a lot of them are the back in my day clan, but, you know, yeah. there's also other people. Back and in I mean, my day clan. yeah, you know the type, but, yeah, 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 yeah. but it's a, it's a real thing. And I mean, for those people at the same time, um, back in their day, there were a lot of people dealing with depression and struggling with anxiety and all of this stuff, but it wasn't spoken about. It wasn't necessarily investigated to the same extent. They didn't have all the treatments and the therapies and all the ideas about it um, as acutely formed as we have them now. And that's, you know, so it's sad to hear people say, yeah, back in my day, because it always makes me think, in fact, back in your day, you probably had some friends that were 
struggling terribly and with depression and nobody knew. you were blissfully unaware of it. Exactly. So that's, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's a thing that happens. But it's also, it's not only that. I mean, we, it's, it's sometimes even a cultural things. We have uh, many oh, of our... Yeah, dude. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, culture is, can also, you know, be a very big catalyst in, in this. Yeah, I mean, many of our um, fellow countrymen, countrymen, country people, what's the what's the right term for our country? Folk. People know what I'm... <laughs> yeah, many of our folk. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I mean now in uh, South Africa specifically, um, there are whole entire cultures that do not uh, consider mental illness to be a reality. You know, they don't think it's a real thing. Um, and and that's an actual thing that happens where uh, people don't uh, in some areas and in some places in the world they don't get treated for depression because depression isn't the thing that exists for them you know and that's a it's a yeah some medical agents on Africa don't cover it at all yeah you know and that's crazy but uh, and I sorry crazy is probably also not a nice word to use <laughs> um, but it, it it's yeah it's horrifying to think about because it's not something that it's only now being or it, not now only but i mean it, it seems like a more recent thing in uh due to human history uh, where there's this kind circumstances of, yeah and it's you know people are starting to take some of this more seriously and a lot of people i think that believed they were impervious to this kind of thing or they couldn't possibly ever become depressed or anxious or whatever are now dealing with it because nobody was expecting the impact of these last two years and now we have a problem you know now there's lots of people who are having a real intense time and suddenly it's a thing where everybody realizes uh you know they're not necessarily equipped to deal with this and uh, people that know about it aren't necessarily equipped to deal with it. And yeah, it's a, it's a very dark time right now and it's really easy to kind of get lost in it. So I, yeah. I think where I it boils really down to is um, just my own perspective, perspective of what I'm feeling because yeah, I also used to be one of those people who didn't believe it to be a thing because it never happened to me. I never knew a life of stress. I never really knew a life of any sadness or, you know, I was one of those emo kids who just really liked the style, but I couldn't help myself to always be happy, you know? <laughs> but uh -huh. where, I'm, where I'm going at with this is, I'm, I'm 31 years on this planet and I was constantly around people, you know, I was constantly around because you need to adapt where you're not the same with every single person around you the whole time, because you need to adapt and feed from that person's energy. Right. And how mm -hmm. often are you just, just with yourself? If you have to tell, if you have to take all of the time, you literally just spent alone. 80 to 90 percent of your the average person's life you've actually spent with family members and people around you i'm not take i'm not counting sleeping but i'm just saying 
your mind is constantly distracted. I mean, how often do you actually really take time to get to know who you are? And I know this might sound very cliche to say out loud, but you know, I've actually recently three years ago found out really i don't really like drinking you know i don't even know why i did do it the whole time you know it's thinking about it actually makes me like curious to find out why i started in the first place because i don't like it at all also found out i really don't like being in large groups of people and you've met me would probably think the latter you know because I've never actually really took the time to actually sit and think to myself, what is it that I do like and don't like, you know? Yeah, no, that's true. I think that's a, and that's why a lot of these last two years kind of, um, I think has set off a lot of these things for people or kind of triggered a lot of this stuff. Yeah, because, because now you people, need to acknowledge who you are, now you know, something you never have done. Yeah, you're forced to spend time with yourself and realize things about yourself that maybe you did not want to realize, you know, um, or, you know, maybe it's good in a sense, like it, it's fantastic that you realize you don't like drinking. I, I would like to realize that at some point as well, but <laughs> so far it's not happened. But I mean, um, it's a it's a real thing and it's a real weird thing. Like people don't realize what it means to be alone with their thoughts and then you know there's the argument that people would make that i oh i spend a lot of time alone you know just being on my own um and not doing things for people but it's also not true it's also um always filled with distraction you oh, don't gaming, spend a lot of time alone. reading books or whatever you don't yeah. actually actively trying to find out yeah exactly and not that i'm saying any of that is uh not worthwhile and things that people shouldn't be doing i mean if you want to binge watch the office two times in a row then fucking do it that's i mean that's your own prerogative but that's not in my opinion alone time that's not actually figuring that's out still a what's distraction yeah, of your because you're not actively doing anything about your mental health you're still avoiding yourself that's true but also we must be careful of making it sound like we are berating people for not actively doing things about their mental health or that we but hate yeah, the office no, <laughs> yeah no, but, I, but i'm sure people get where we're coming from but yeah no and it's a real thing i mean i like distracting myself as much as possible um just uh and it's it's not necessarily the most healthy thing but it's something that many times helps me to calm down is you know just chilling watching something a lot of times it's like a comfort show something that i have watched yeah. before and i kind of know where things are going and it does help to some degree but it's um it shouldn't be a crutch that's the thing you shouldn't yeah. find yourself having to rely on that because then essentially you probably have a bigger problem that you need to be dealing with yeah the escapism is not really gonna assist you with regards to you know probing the the difficulties of your mental health you know it's simply also exactly the same well no no pardon me well it's just escape similar it's similar to numbing the pain towards other unhealthy coping mechanisms yeah no that's what it is that's exactly the right word escapism it's something you use to escape whatever scenario it is that you find yourself in and whether that be uh you know, drinking or smoking weed or uh, 
watching friends even though i don't i don't like friends but anyway if people like Thanks. friends that's cool for them that's that's very but, cool for them i agree <laughs> yeah but but yeah more power to them but i mean <laughs> uh, like but all of that boils down to the same thing it's uh, a way to kind of get outside of your uh, own thought patterns and it works it's like to a certain degree um for many people i think it works for their whole life they never have to think about anything specifically because or to have they never have to come to the point where they need to specifically deal with something about themselves because they will always have some or other form of escapism um and for other people it works up to a point and then they realize um you know they're watching the screen but they're not taking anything in you know because they're just an anxious mess and then it becomes time to to deal with it i think that's uh that 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 escapism is that frustration i was talking about earlier you know um would sometimes find myself saying like listen dude you always said you wanted to work on your own mental health uh, when you've got you know time here you are in that same form of escapism again you know and that is that you know habits i was talking about earlier you know that is uh, where my frustration comes you know i actively want to do this with regards to me finding out who i am but i would much rather it's easier to fall in that escapism and i think that's where that frustration with myself comes from yeah but then like i said earlier i think it's important to realize that you shouldn't be frustrated with yourself about it you know yeah. just try again um and if it takes a thousand more tries that's fine too but yeah i don't think um it's important to realize that you you shouldn't beat yourself up about it because then you end up uh just beating yourself up and then <laughs> using what, yourself yeah. as a proverbial punching bag basically exactly and then something that could have been a relaxing nice experience becomes a uh, anxious uh terrifying experience and an angry experience and then that ends up being all you have all the time because you're anxious about not being resting anxious. and then <laughs> yeah you get anxious about being anxious and that's you know that's oh. that's bad anxious maximus um anxious maximus <laughs> listen johnny holiday i just would like to thank you for coming on my show it was absolutely phenomenal to have you on board and i'm going to ask you something i ask absolutely everybody on the show if there's something that you would like to leave the listeners with now is your time sure oh putting me on the spot there um You're welcome. yeah i just I feel like right now I would like to say if this was a couple of months ago I would have said you know check out my new album or whatever but that's not the case right now. Um I think I just want people to know that if you are dealing with mental health issues and many of us are many many of us are it's important to realize that you're not alone and to realize that it is possible to deal with it. It's possible in many different ways um and you are able to get the help that you need so yeah 
I just want people to know that they're not broken and they're able to get back to where they want to be. Um, yeah, just don't feel hopeless. I know everyone's feeling hopeless and but don't. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine if you are. I understand it 100%, but it's possible to get back out and not feel hopeless again. Johnny, thank you very, very much again for coming on, 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 on the show. And I would just like to say you should have an absolutely phenomenal evening and um, good luck with all of your future ventures. Thanks, man. And um, same to you. And hopefully we'll be able to get together again soon and have a hang, you know, and then we can record that. <laughs> we can we can record having a hang. We'll, we'll call it hanging out with Johnny on a holiday. We'll go on a holiday and, and we'll record it. Yeah, let's go on a holiday. Exactly. That's a fantastic <laughs> idea. <laughs> awesome, dude. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. You as well, man. Cheers. Cheers.